Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. It's review time, baby. That's right. We're talking about Cradia, the Wild Hunt Festival today. That was a long title, and you got through it admirably, Sarah. Nice job. Except I added a random the in there. It feels like it should be the Wild Hunt Festival, but it's just Wild Hunt Festival. Maybe there are multiple Wild Hunt Festivals, and Cradia is just one of the many Wild Hunt Festivals. Right. It's not the Wild Hunt Festival. It's just a Wild Hunt Festival. Well, they should put that, a Wild Hunt Festival. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, we're going to be talking about Cradia Wild Hunt Festival and uh, get into a design discussion on actions in games, in cooperative games, and uh, the number of actions, the action options available to players, what can be overwhelming, what can be not enough. Yeah, I called it action pacing. I think that kind of encompasses it all. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good name. Well done, sir. Now, I will say for Cradia, if you look it up, you're probably not going to find it on Board Game Geek. First of all, good luck spelling Cradia. But when I looked up Wild Hunt Festival, it was fine because it actually wasn't written in English on BGG that I saw. Correct. Yeah. So this is Line Wing Publishing. They brought over from Japan. They're, I think they're kind of doing the same thing that Japanime Games does, where like they localize Japanese games. And I think there's also maybe another one or two games set in like the Cradia setting in Japan. So I agree with Peter. Definitely easier if you want to look it up under Wild Hunt Festival. And I believe it's uh, for sale on their web store. So I don't know if it's in retail anywhere else, but you can get it online from Line Wing Publishing if you like what you hear in the review. Cool. All right. So you've been playing anything fun lately? Yeah, but before I talk about me, let's talk about even better people than me, the patrons. <laughs> well, yeah, that's for darn sure. <laughs> Way better. <laughs> yeah, it's not that hard, right? Uh, so <laughs> uh, we would like to thank the incredible generosity of our patrons helping us uh, pay for the podcast because it does cost money just to host this thing, helping us uh, pay for new equipment and the games we cover. Uh, lots of awesome stuff you all do to help us. And today we are thanking Daniel Takai, who is a co-op MVP Paul Round of The Round Table, a co-op lover. I think that's a YouTube channel. I know I've seen him comment. And Jamie Gillette, a co-op fan. So Daniel, Paul, and Jamie, thank you. Thank you to all our many patrons. If you would like to become a patron, feel free. Go to patreon.com slash one stop. And you can get uh, early access to our YouTube videos. You can vote on which games we play. You get extra entries in all our contests. So lots of fun little extras. But uh, even if you're not a patron, we still appreciate you listening, uh, watching our videos, whatever you do to kind of join the conversation around awesome solo and co-op games. Yeah. So speaking of uh, podcasting fees, they went up like everything else in this world is going up right now. So uh, I I was definitely expecting a bump. But uh, yep. Yep, they didn't disappoint on that one. <laughs> they, they did not let you down. They, they were consistent. They were predictable, just like a business should be. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Just like we're predictable with great podcast content every week. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's one thing. We've had, obviously, Colin and Steve were the first to join us. And Steve's obviously carried the mantle for a while now. But he's put a lot of effort into his stream content lately. And so we've had Jason doing podcast episodes. And it's really been great. 
it's just a huge family. It's great having everybody on. So our Sunday content is going to stay the way you love it. It's going to stay game focused. And then that Wednesday content, there's going to be some gaming stuff in there, but there's going to be some other industry news as well on those Wednesday episodes. So we're kind of trying to settle in, figure it all out with the three brands of podcast, but stick with it. I love all of our content that we're doing here and we hope you guys do too. Yeah, and also, uh, if you haven't checked out the streaming channel, like Peter said, and, and Peter's also doing amazing work, but of course he didn't say it himself. <laughs> yeah, Steve, especially with his uh, wife and often gaming partner, Kim, uh, they're doing amazing stuff. Peter, and often with Terrence or with me and Jerry some weeks, they're doing great stuff. A lot of Marvel, a lot of, uh, I mean, just awesome games all over. Some Kickstarter coverage now going on there as well. So yeah, check that out. Yeah, if you like Marvel Champions, definitely come visit the stream channel because I'm on there every Friday playing with Terrence. And then I usually, you know, anytime there's new content, I'll play that on there as well with my first impression videos. And that's one thing we're trying to focus on on the stream channel is like first impressions of stuff. So the last couple of days, we just played a couple of Kickstarters. You want to talk about those? Sure. Yeah. So some of these are on the streaming channel. We played some of the tales from the Red Dragon Inn. This is kickstarting on September 30th. I'll have a main channel video, a non-streaming video for the launch, but you can already see it on the streaming channel. This is a campaign-based dungeon crawler from the makers of Red Dragon Inn, which is a uh, competitive, <laughs> like drinking gambling game. And uh, also from Red Dragon Inn Battle for Greyport, which is a cooperative deck building town defense game that uh, most of One Stop Co-op Shop loves, I believe. Yes. So that one uh, was really fun. I know Peter and I both liked it. It's very uh, light and quick, but some good tactical combat, some good character variety, some nice scenario variety. So yeah, definitely excited to see what the full Kickstarter looks like. And it's a pretty big campaign. Like I think uh, over 20 missions, we've only played three of them. So definitely a lot of stuff to look forward to there. And I I like how simple the system is, but how quick it is. Now, the game we played wasn't quick because it was our first time playing it. So there was some, you know, rule stuff we had to look up. And it was a little bit longer mission. But, you know, when you see Mike's video on the non-streaming channel... And like, if you ever played through that tutorial first mission, it's it's a very quick game, a very simplified system, but yet lots of clever decisions in there. So, you know, I, I'm really excited. That's the one I'm probably most excited about outside of like Oathsworn, which we've been talking about forever. Who knows when that thing's coming out? Oh, man, then you're really excited <laughs> if you're comparing oh. it all the way back to Oathsworn. Wow. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you know me. I like quick, simple actions, but with cool tactical choices and not enough dungeon crawls do cool tactical choices in my mind. And this one does. Yes. No, I I agree with that. Another one we played kind of speaking of simple actions and a campaign and adventure is Agamonia. We actually did two. We we enjoyed that enough to do two plays in very quick successions. The first two of the tutorial, which is also on tabletop simulator. So that's also on the streaming channel. And yeah, I I like uh, tales from Red dragon in a lot. And I really like Agamonia too, from what I've uh, played so far. It's got almost a choose-your-own-adventure, like classic, almost lone wolf kind of quality to it that I really enjoy. But the combat is, it's simple, but it's still fun. It's still, it's got a great dice system. I love the dice in that game. Uh, How about you, Peter? How are you feeling about Agamonia? Yeah, I compared it a lot to the Fantasy Flight app-based game, so Mansions of Madness and Journeys of Middle-Earth and The New Descent, because it feels like those games where you see something, you can go explore it, you flip it over cards to see what it is. There is no app in this game. That's the one thing I do want to clarify. But at the same time, it 
gives me that same feel. So like you're in a movie, you're a main character in a movie. Now I almost feel like it has a little bit more tactics than a lot of those games where I think a lot of those games, it isn't as tactical. And maybe because the apps running things, you don't really get a feel for what the enemies are going to do or whatever. And they kind of use that hiding it in the background here. You can game the system a little bit more, I guess, but in a cool way that makes it feel like a cool tactical puzzle rather than just something's going to happen. And I don't know what it is. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, even in the very basic combat of the second mission, like, you ran in to save me once when we saw the enemies were going to attack me. We could see uh, when the initiative card came up which type of defense they were going to be stronger and weaker against and, like, try to make the heroes who were better at that take those hits. So, yeah, I mean, I'm very impressed by what they're doing with a pretty straightforward rule set overall. And I'll have a non-streaming video for that one as well. Uh, Once the prototype gets here, (laughs) the campaign, by the time you hear this podcast, should be going on for about a week more. So uh, you can still check it out and pledge if you like that one. Well, talk about streamlined games. We want to talk about Cradia now? Sure. Yeah, let's get into uh, Cradia Wild Hunt Festival. So what's the theme here, Peter? I have no idea. You're just fighting stuff. I really don't. I didn't read the theme up. Do they even have theme in there? No, they have a ton of theme. They, they literally have uh, like an entire little booklet of stories for each of the bosses you can fight in the campaigns and stuff. So I'll, I'll take the theme. Uh, so the basic idea is that I'm not sure where the festival part comes in. Maybe there's like a bounty hunting festival that I didn't see. But the theme is very similar to uh, JRPG games like, and well, I guess I wouldn't call this a JRPG, but like the Monster Hunter series. There are lots of like monsters and bosses causing a ruckus in the Cradia world, and you are paid to go and hunt them down. So you're kind of like monster bounty hunters. That's the basic theme. Your party goes out and fulfills different quests. Now, you're just fighting bosses. It is a straight up boss battler. So it's not like those story beats have mechanical implications or come into the gameplay. But like I said, they do have like a nice little campaign book with art and it kind of acts like it's the posts on the bounty hunter board if you want to like kind of get into it. So there is theme if you want to dig into it, but it's certainly not like a major part of the game. Yeah, that was definitely that book, but you could completely ignore that book. That it actually, you know, it's funny because a lot of games have the theme in the rule book and it makes the rule books a little bit longer. This the actual storybook was way longer than the rulebook. Rulebook is literally four pages, and that's for two different modes of the game, you know, front and back of two pages, and that's it. So, you know, the rules were very simple and straightforward. And so basically in the game, there's an environmental effect for each different location. So you're going to flip over a card. It's going to move you down one of these environmental tracks and something will be affecting the way the round works. Then the next thing you do is each of your characters is going to take an action. There's literally three choices. One of your choices is to do your basic attack where you just move the enemy's health down one, and then you're going to get some mana for it. It'll be either red or blue mana, depending on what the health space of the enemy is moved to. You can roll a dice and do an attack that way, and you'll be left to whim. Usually the higher number, the better, but you can always use lower numbers if you want, because sometimes it'll be like attack for four, or it'll be attack for two and get two mana or something like that. So you may want to use a lower number just to get different results and different things out of it. And the last one is using that mana to use an ability. Each character is going to take one of those three actions, and then you're trying to defeat the boss before they defeat you. And each of your characters can die individually, but not until all of them are defeated do you lose. All right. So we're going to get into our review of Cradia Wild Hunt Festival. 
And if you have not listened before, welcome. We go through the five things we think are most important about the game or about its design. And uh, we start with number five. So important, but the least important of the five on our list and work our way up to number one. So uh, I'll jump in first, Peter. My number five is a bit of a mix and that's the campaign system. So to be clear, there are multiple modes you can play this game in, but I think one of the kind of main ones, probably the one that was the most developed or the most focused on, is the campaign mode. Like I said, they have an entire uh, booklet of just theme that is only for the campaign mode. So it seems like it's a focus. (laughs) And uh, the negative side of the campaign mode is that it has your characters leveling up, which I always love, but the leveling is somewhat perfunctory. You just kind of unlock the same things each time you play the same character. The only choice is which of two uh, special abilities at the end you want to unlock. So there's like a little bit of branching. But I think people who are looking for like a campaign-based RPG or crawler or adventure game feel with like major changes in their character, you get stronger. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's that interesting for uh, campaign-based players. But that being said, the campaign is very quick. You can play through the entire thing in like an hour and a half, maybe two hours, and maybe even less than that. And uh, the thing I like most about the campaign play, I'm a big fan of resource management. You have these uh, retainer cards that give you bonuses. You can uh, use them to like change dice, mitigate luck, that kind of thing. You also unlock items after each boss you beat. The campaign is kind of like a uh, boss gauntlet of four bosses. And also your life doesn't automatically come back. So I like the management of all these resources and trying to survive through the easier bosses with uh, fewer things used so that you can go in guns blazing against like the really, really tough bosses at the end. I pretty much always die on the fourth boss, but it still feels satisfying for like that overall experience. So I don't think the leveling is exciting, but I think the resource management of the campaign mode is pretty cool. Yeah, I'll talk about some of that later. But the one thing I want to address is I think it's funny that you think the story mode or the campaign mode is the main mode in the game when there's literally only two campaigns in the game. Sure, but it's the same number of bosses as the other mode, like the one sure. mode. So yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. It's pretty, it, maybe it's 50-50. Maybe it's pretty balanced. Yeah, because the other mode, you have only level four bosses and you basically take a leveled up character and you fight against the level four boss. Now, you don't have other things like items you get for killing bosses and things like that. That's only reserved for the campaign mode. So I guess there's more stuff in the game for those campaign modes. But again, there's only two campaigns. Whereas if you're playing a one-off boss, you're going to have eight different options and you're going to be able to play eight different times. Even though I guess you're fighting eight bosses in the the campaign mode as well, you're just kind of doing it all back to back to back. Right. So uh, interesting. But my number five has to do with those bosses, and that is the boss variety. And I think the bosses do different things. There's a lot of – and this one is a mix for me. I'll I'll start by saying that. There are a lot of different bosses. There's 16 total bosses just in those two modes. There's a third mode called Nightmare as well, which I didn't even go that way, which is even like harder bosses and more complicated stuff going on. But yeah, the boss variety was good, right? Every boss kind of looked a little different, felt a little different. But honestly, I don't know that I did things that differently when I was fighting those bosses. One of the things that I love about some of these boss battler games is I kind of feel like I have to do things completely different. Whereas when I was fighting these bosses, so when you move to the different health spots for the boss, not only are they going to have a color of mana that you'll usually get for doing a basic attack and you get them to that health and then you get that type of mana, but they'll also have a number of dots at the bottom. And that's how many dice 
the boss rolls against you when it attacks you. And then you just roll those dice after all four characters have acted, you roll the dice and then the boss is going to attack you. And, you know, you just add those numbers up and there'll be a chart on their thing. So sometimes you roll one dice, sometimes you roll four dice and, you know, anywhere in between. And so you're really trying to get to those health spots that have the least number of dice on them. And it felt like that was a consistent tactic I was doing no matter which boss I was facing. And yes, there were some things that changed that up a little bit, They didn't feel as different to me as they do in some of these other games that I really love because of the bosses, right? So that's why it was so low on my list. Yes, there's a bunch of different bosses, but they felt different, but not that different to me. Yeah, and I'm more positive on that one, but it comes up later on my list. So actually, I guess it doesn't. Never mind. Number four, boss variety and modes. (laughs) Nice. And yeah, I I call this one a full con. I don't disagree with you that sometimes you're doing the same stuff, but each of the bosses tends to have combos that they do. They often uh, put different status effects on you that change up how they like literally lock out some actions for your character. So I think that changes up what your turns look like. Now you said full con. I'm assuming you meant full pro. Oh God. Oh, sorry. Yes. Full pro. Full pro. Okay. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. Yes. So so I, I find the bosses do have kind of their own identity, their own variety. Now, I also don't think it's entirely fair to compare it to like big boss battlers that cost like a hundred plus dollars. It's like a $30 game and you get like 25 bosses or something in there. Sure. (laughs) So, you know, I think with the expectations in the right place, I think the variety is very strong. And on top of that, Peter mentioned this and this kind of already came up, but I really like the modes overall. The campaign mode feels different than the one-off boss modes. And then the nightmare mode, they only have two of the nightmare bosses, but they are drastically different. They have some different rules. They have a different uh, board for these battlefield effects. You combine heroes together, so it kind of increases the strategy of building your team. The bosses have uh, two forms, and they switch between them. So I I think for a very small, very affordable game with, like, not a ton of components, I think they actually did a very good job of the bosses. But I do agree with Peter. Like, if you're looking at comparing this to KDM, (laughs) you know, a $400 game, like, the difference between a lion and an antelope in KDM is probably bigger than the difference between any of the individual bosses in this game. Well, I was even talking about, like, adventure tactics or... Sure, but adventure tactics, again, is like a $100 dungeon crawler. And, and and I would also disagree with you there, because I think a lot of the bosses are just like move in a random direction and do a random thing over and over again on these very nondescript, like empty rooms. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know if that's the best example of great boss variety, at least for me. OK, sure. All right. So my number four is that there is not much dice manipulation in the game. A lot of times, like I said, when you do an attack, you're going to roll a dice. And when the enemy attacks you, it's the same thing. They're rolling dice equal to whatever spot you're on. And that, to me, is actually one of the biggest forms of dice manipulation in the game, is trying to manipulate the enemy's health to get it on the spot with the least number of dice possible. Or there are certain times where, like I said, the environment comes into play. Maybe the boss's dice will be locked at 16 for this attack or whatever else. So it won't matter. You know, you, you don't care as much where the boss's health ends up that round. And you try to tactically work around that. So the different heroes you're choosing, the different bosses you're fighting, and that environment effect each round are going to kind of determine your tactics from the round. So there is a lot of puzzle in it, but then there's this dice element. And there isn't a lot of manipulation when it comes to the dice. Like Mike said, you have this in just the single boss battler against level four boss. You have one card of dice manipulation, basically. And in the campaign, you have four But that's four across four different bosses. You're not getting any more throughout the course of the campaign. Now, some of the items, I guess, help with dice manipulation, but really it's not that many options for helping with the dice. 
So for me, it didn't bother me that much. It bothered me a little bit more at the beginning. I think it is interesting when you use the dice manipulation, even though you only have one. The battles are short enough where it doesn't matter that much, but I, I still wish there was a little bit more ways of controlling the dice. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you need a lot of that luck to keep the game kind of fresh and keep the turns exciting. But I, I 100% agree with you that I would not mind a bit more power and control, like maybe one more resource or you could spend like mana or something to do it. So yes, I, I agree with that too. So my number three, uh, I think this goes back. Th- this is a game that I covered around the same time as Testament, which is from uh, Japan Anime Games, another one brought over from Japan. It's also kind of a boss battler. And we discussed this in that review and discussing it again here. Uh, pro for me, number three, is building your team and the variety of uh, teams and the variety of heroes, I guess, in general. There is a bunch of heroes. I feel like it's, is it 10? Does that sound right to you, Peter? In this one? Yeah. Yes, but I uh, we will get to them later. Yes. Yes, there was quite a few. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of heroes and they have very different roles and very different like power sets and that kind of thing. So some are healers, but even within the healers, one healer is like a better fighter. The other one's a more consistent healer and can bring people back to life. There are defenders. There are kind of like weird characters that do very random things. Like one has like a little like puppet that they can attack with. And again, you know, I'm keeping this in mind, the value and the price of the game. It's like a $30, $35 game. So I'm not saying these heroes are like the most diverse and amazingly different heroes ever. This is not Gloomhaven where each of them has their own unique deck. But you have 10 heroes you pick four to build a team with. And even if the individual heroes aren't super different, I like the power to play around with different teams. This is the kind of game that like, I think Steve would really enjoy because some of the teams are going to be dumb. I'm not saying that every team is viable. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and just like in a Testament, like when we covered it, I think there are some teams that are just straight up better. So that might bother you if you like want every option to be balanced, which I don't really think is possible. But if you like experimenting, if you like challenging yourself, if you like a boss battle to feel very different, you can go with all attackers and no healing. You can go in with all like defenders and healers and try out that. And again, some might not work as well against bosses as others, but the the options and the variety and kind of the, the replay from that, if you're of that exploratory nature, like if that's in your blood, I think that's a lot of fun. And again, like looking at the price, you get way more heroes than I would ever expect from a game of this cost. Sure. And Testament was the other game I was thinking of when I was thinking of boss variety. And because these games actually are very similar to me, and I'll get into that in my final thought. This game in Testament had a lot of similar feels while being very different at the same time. And I'll kind of go into the the differences at the end. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and again, like, remember that <laughs> it's weird that I covered them within, I feel like, three weeks of each other, like the Kickstarters were happening. Yeah, I did not realize that they were that close together, but it makes sense because we've covered them both very recently. Um, But again, I'll get to that in my final thoughts. But I also want to talk about the character variety and leveling. That was my number three. And you said you didn't find the leveling that interesting. It's not interesting in the fact that unlike Testament, where Testament is very interesting, right? You, You get to pick everything that happens with your leveling. But I did feel like I got more powerful. And so that was the interesting part of the leveling for me. So that story mode, I really liked the fact that between missions, I actually felt like I got more and more powerful because those missions, again, all those boss fights are only like 30 minutes. They're very, very quick. And that's one thing that does differentiate this game from Testament a lot. And that's why I think maybe they both have a place on your shelf. And like you said, the price point as well. But, uh, you know, that's final thoughts. So I did like the leveling and the character variety. Unlike the boss variety, I thought there was actually, as you said, quite a bit of character variety. Now, the one thing that bothered me, though, is you said there's two healers. Yes, that's kind of true. But one really felt like a healer and the other one, I don't know. 
it didn't really have nearly as much healing as I would want in a game. Oh, but like that guy whoops the boss with a couple of his abilities. So I, I actually uh, tend to pick him or her. I forget what the gender is uh, more than the other one, even though the other one's a more consistent healer. Yeah, and there's only one tank in the game, which I thought was kind of weird, and and maybe they just didn't think it was in an interesting enough role. And there's a lot of attackers in the game, and then you're right, there's some of the weird ones as well. I don't know. I kind of settled in on the team pretty quickly because I was like, well, these characters just seem better, and maybe that's my own personal playstyle. And so I think that's kind of interesting that you know we had different choices for some of those characters as well. Because I was like, oh, I'm not sure that these characters are balanced. Like I tend to want to go for the same ones over and over again, whereas you found different ones. So maybe this isn't as much of a mix as I thought. Maybe there is more character variety than I figured. It's just I didn't want to explore that for whatever reason, because some just felt more powerful to me. But maybe it was just my play style and how I wanted to beat the bosses. Well, I, I think some are better. And and again, this this will be a pro for some people and a mix for other people, because, yeah, like some will feel like they should just use certain players. It's funny, Peter, you always uh, get on my case for being a min maxer. But I think maybe you have some min maxing blood in you as well. <laughs> And I'm not sure it's even that, right? But I wanted to be able to take some damage. Now, on those level four bosses, it's not even worth having a tank and a healer sometimes, I think. So you might be right about not needing those. Maybe I needed to go more attacky with those bosses specifically because, you know, they're doing half your life basically in one attack a lot of times. And so it's like, oh my gosh, your character goes go down really fast. Um, yeah, so I, I thought it was kind of interesting, but I still like the option of having them in there and I wanted to slow burn it a little more, but I think if you wanted to go in and just whoop up on them pretty quickly, having a bunch of attackers might be just as fun or just as viable. No, absolutely. All right. So wait, that was my number three, right? What's your number three? <laughs> mine, mine was a character leveling and variety. Oh, never mind. Never thing. mind. Yeah. I guess we're all kind of, <laughs> we're all kind of blending into each other a bit. All right. So my number two, uh, goes right to the design discussion today, which is about actions and this is a mix, a leaning con, I would even say. And that's uh, the the actions you take on your turn and the cooperation if you play the game cooperatively. So first of all, the big like part of this that pushes it towards con, depending on what who you're playing with, is that I would not recommend this, even though it has four heroes and can be played with four players, would not recommend this with three or four. Because you do so little on each individual hero's turn. That's number one. And... They are so interlocking and you need to like really carefully plan what each hero is going to do to get like the boss to exactly where you want them to defend yourselves correctly and not get somebody killed. So that can be a pro. That's why this is a mix. It can be a pro in that I think the strategy of how you plan out the turn for all four heroes is pretty interesting. I think uh, kind of like the combos you can build with abilities and stuff to do a lot of damage and set the boss up the right way. I think that's all really cool, trying to get the right color mono to people when you can. Sometimes you just don't have any control. (laughs) That's all pretty fun. But yeah, if you play with three or four players, it's just so light. Unless you're like, I don't know, the kind of group that just loves discussing things as a whole anyway, then it might be fine. But I think for like the average gamers looking for some agency in their character, it's going to feel a little bit too light and airy. I very much enjoyed it solo. I think that's probably the best way. And I know Peter agrees. But I also enjoyed it two player, especially with my son. Now, you know, was I coaching him at at the same time? And did I kind of still feel like I was sort of playing solo and still kind of controlling the team? Sure. (laughs) You know, to be honest, yes. But I I still think that the, the way the actions work is great. I just think it's not great for higher player counts, probably best for solo. Well, and also they have things like stunning your characters and yep, character yep. death and things like that, right? Yep. Where you're going to be losing actions right and left. And it's not that the actions, any one of the actions is not very interesting. Honestly, I've 
almost exclusively played this solo after the first game. And I would go further than you and say, I don't even know that it's a good two player game unless you're multi-handing soloing a game where you're kind of working on your own. Maybe you talk about it, but you really need to know what all four characters are doing and what you want each of them to do on the turn. It's very much like Testament in that way. And I would even say maybe even more so because you have less to do on your turn here. Yes, no, I, I agree with you. And also, I think, I mean, Testament can punish you a lot. I think this game can perhaps punish you more if you totally misplan the turn and, like, leave the boss on the exact wrong spot. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And again, it's all up to that luck of the dice because I've been on a spot where I rolled three dice and I've literally rolled a four. And I've been on a spot where I've had two dice and I've rolled a 12, yep. right? And their <laughs> actions are very different. The higher number it is, it's way worse for your team. And again, without much dice manipulation, you know, you just kind of get what you get, which is fine because the game is so fast. And so, you know, going back to my not much dice manipulation point, it doesn't bother me as much because it's a 30 minute game. But let's get on to my number two, which is the mana system and the basic attacks. So on a basic attack, you literally move the enemy's health down one, and then whatever color it is, and it alternates between red and blue manas, and whatever color it is, is the type of mana you get. Blue manas tend to be more defensive or healing. Red manas tend to be more damaging, although it's not necessarily that way. Sometimes your character needs a combination of these manas, but you literally move it one space and get whatever color mana you move it to. This is actually really clever. I don't know that I would want that to be my only action is part of the problem, right? We've talked about this, uh, you know, a little bit at length here, but I don't know that's all I want my turn to be. But it's really clever how you get mana by doing just one basic attack. And this is where the interlocking puzzle comes in. You really do need to try to manipulate it. And you said you don't always get what you want. And I agree with that. But a lot of times if I'm off, because I'll I'll alternate my characters where one wants red, then one wants blue. And trust me, they they sometimes want both sides of the, the mana coin as well, where they want all of them. But it's typically these characters want this color. These characters kind of want this color more and I'll try to alternate them. So I can just basic attack, basic attack, basic attack, especially early to build up my mana pool. But if that track gets off, a lot of times I'll do that. Roll the dice attack to try to get two damage in or whatever else, just to try to throw it off. Or even if I miss, it's almost better to miss in that situation. That way I can kind of get the mana back to the people that I need it for. So I, I think it's clever. Like I said, I think it might be a little too simple for that being your entire turn and the first time i played i'm like wait really we're just moving the thing one left and getting that color mana but i really like it as a system if it was in a bigger system i think i would enjoy it even more well i think that again comes back to playing it solo i'm sure you don't care (laughs) if you do a basic action it's not like you're missing out on a cooler action because you're controlling four people right oh absolutely and i do think though because of the way it works you're almost always going to do that basic attack in the first turn. I don't know. I mean, did you feel like it was the same way? Your first turn kind of went, all right, four basic attacks. Let's move on. Yeah, some, sometimes. It depends on the boss. Some bosses, like, it's really good to take a chance early on. And, and usually I would do, like, the uh, the charge attack first so I can kind of gauge where I was. Because yep. some of them have, like, their best spot on the fifth life spot or the third life spot. So you just want to kind of go for something wacky like that. Well, and you have to do an action every turn, right? So you do that charge attack, that roll dice attack, because you don't want to get to that that extra spot, right? You can't just pass. So you have to do something to almost miss on purpose. And it's interesting. Some characters, when they miss, 
they'll hurt themselves. And some, when they miss, they'll get mana or they'll heal themselves or whatever else. I think they did a lot with a little here with that system, with the uh, charge attacks as well. I didn't make that one of my points, but there's a lot of clever things in this game. And, you know, for a 30 or $40 game, I think that's pretty cool. But Mike, what's your number one? It's a lot about what you were just talking about. Like it's really along the same uh, lines. I focus on the boss hit point track and how the boss attacks you different ways, but it's all connected to like that mana and how you're like hitting the boss down. But yeah, I think this is a really clever system. Peter already talked about it at length, so I won't go on too long, but uh, I like that uh, different bosses want you to end up at different things. Uh, Peter didn't mention this, but there are uh, a couple of bosses that uh, flip the script and they actually attack you the weakest if you're in the middle of the dice. So you want to get like a 7 to 10. So you want to try to get like that 3 dice level. And then some actually have their weakest attacks at the highest levels of their attacks, but not too high. So different uh, dice numbers become like different safe spots. But beyond that, this kind of goes back to the boss variety, but I think it's still part of the hit point track. Many of the bosses have different things based on where they are in the track. So beyond even the turn-to-turn calculus of like, ooh, do I want to hurt him down to 18 life or 16 life? How will they attack me based on that? You also have the like, do I want to get him into his second form? Do I want to get him to where he has free armor every turn yet? Do I want to save up some more mana by doing something else first? So I I think, uh, like Peter said, with a very simple system where wherever the boss's life counter is, they roll a certain number of D6s and activate their ability based on that. I think there's some really cool decisions some really cool like overall strategy from turn to turn, which again kind of <laughs> highlights how solo is better. But yeah, I, I liked it overall. I think it does play into the boss variety. It plays into the actions being more interesting than they should be. Like the actions are so simple, but they feel cooler, especially when you're playing the whole team because of like this kind of boss action hanging over you. And like Peter said, it's random. It'll definitely bother some people if you just roll wrong and die. But I think that's a lot of the where the tension and excitement comes in. So, you know, I, I tend to like dice. I didn't find them problematic here. But yeah, that, that's me. How about you, Peter? And my number one is the best thing for this game. And it is it's quick, simple gameplay. This goes right back to solo. I don't think I would play this at any other player count, even two player. There's just so much synergy between the characters. It's very much like Testament, as we've talked about many times here. But even more simple. This is almost like my first Testament or something like that. (laughs) They both kind of did the same thing with the boss battler where they made your team the focus. And it'd be interesting if we each had our own teams, right? I would think this game would be maybe even more interesting if I had a team of four and you had a team of four, Mm. because the, the synergy between the four characters, I think is very, very strong. And so it would be interesting to me if each person had their own team of four, it just felt like with less than four, you just didn't have enough to do. And there wasn't enough planning for what, where you need the boss to be. That life track of the boss is so important for all of your strategy that it really takes all four characters collaborating to get it to where you want it to be. So for me, uh, this was an all-out pro, although I keep going back to this solo versus multiplayer thing. I I love the quick, simple gameplay when playing it solo. All right, so uh, getting into final thoughts. This is one that, uh, yeah, I mean, if it was a more expensive game, I don't know if I would recommend it that much. Uh, If you want to play it, two-player might work. If you want to play it three or four-player, I'd probably say look somewhere else. But that's true of a lot of these games where you control like a team of four and what the actual individual team members do <laughs> isn't that great. Like I wouldn't recommend KDM with three or four players either. But yeah, if you're, if you're looking for a very quick, uh, pretty strategic and highly varied for the price, little boss battling game that is in a very small box and you can 
set up and play very quickly. I think this one is uh, pretty cool. You know, I, I would not, a game at a similar price point with similar amounts of variety, Bullet, certainly Bullet is heads and shoulders above this game. It's like one of my top games of like the last several years, but I still really enjoyed Cradia. I'm, I'm happy that they sent a review copy and I got the chance to play it again. Yeah, so it, it's a cool one. I think uh, a lot of people will like this. Yeah, for the price point, and that's the thing, you know, we talk about the scent and its price point. For its price point, this is a great game. I would recommend it for anybody who likes solo puzzly games. I mean, I would certainly rather play it than like Friday at this point. (laughs) Games like that, right? One Deck Dungeon, things like that. I think it's on par with those as far as puzzly type games. And so for me, this is the one I'd prefer in that price point. Now, if it's between this and Testament, I like Testament a lot better. The leveling is very important to me. I think the tactics are more interesting over there. But I didn't mind this one. And this one's way quicker and way quicker to set up. So there's a huge pro to that, right? You know, any game you can set up and play in like 30 minutes. And again, it's four pages of rules. So it doesn't take that long to learn. And unlike four pages of rules in some of these other games we've complained about, this is four pages of rules where you know how to play when you're done. So I think they did a real good job here with what they were going for. All right, so that was uh, Cradia Wild Hunt Festival. Sounds like a potential recommendation based on your play style and uh, your play number (laughs) in your groups. Absolutely. But let's get into our uh, design discussion on action pacing. Yeah, so it's funny. When I first proposed this idea to you, I had one thing in mind and you had something completely different in mind. And I think they both make a lot of sense for this discussion today and for the game we covered today. Mine was number of actions... That you have... No, what was mine? I don't even remember. <laughs> Your, yours was the number of options of actions. Like, are right. you presented with five things you can do on your turn, ten things you can do on your turn? So, so what are your thoughts on that, Peter, to kind of start us off? Yeah, so this game, you have three options, basically. But each character has three options. Again, for a single player controlling that, I think it might be too few. But it, there are some games, like... And this isn't a cooperative game, but Underwater Cities, where you have what, nine spaces on the board, something like that. So you think there are nine options, but you also have three cards. And on each of those cards, there's a different color. And if you play it with the color of the action on the board, you get to do both things. So it really puts these synergies together. And now you're multiplying, right? So if you have three cards in your hand and each of them multiply with three different actions, you know, then that's nine actions, you know, possible right there, you know, that you could do or combinations of actions you could do. And then you could also use those cards to play them on different colors where you don't get the multiplicative effect. So it's like six more actions you could choose from. Sometimes it can be overwhelming when you get too many of these choices, but sometimes it can be underwhelming as well. Yeah, and I'm also thinking of like some Euros. Uh, Lacerda, his uh, Euros with solo play are kind of renowned for not having a ton of action options, but the nuanced like actions within, like the executive actions or whatever he calls them, depending on the game, that you can kind of like add on as minor actions really balloon the options. And and I think there's not a wrong or right answer here. It's entirely about the weight of the game, the feeling for the players of like how puzzly or how complex or how combolicious it is. I think Peter and I probably edge. Well, I I won't even say that. (laughs) It depends on what kind of game I want to play and like what uh, mindset I'm in and who I'm playing with. Because sometimes I want to like three hand a Gloomhaven party and have a lot of permutations for how I could like kind of play out the entire hand. And sometimes I want to play like two characters in the one we just talked about, Cradia, where I'm making like the tiniest little choices of all. So I don't think presenting more or fewer options is right or wrong. 
Well, it depends on your audience, right? And it depends on how you sell your game. You don't want to have incorrect expectations, I guess, is is the big part of it, right? You don't want to make a kid's game where you have 50 different options on your turn. But you also don't want to make, you know, this heavy. Well, I don't know. Lacerda is really good at this. What Lacerda is good at is breaking down his decisions. It's like, okay, you have four places you can go on the board. Which of these four actions do you want to do? Okay, I want to do action A. But then it might branch off into action B, then branch off to action C. So like, what do you want to do after this? Like, it's almost micro decisions within that one action. So, I mean, I'm going to give an example where I don't think we did as good a job as we could have, and that's Salvation Road, the game we designed. We have a lot of actions there, and we're like, oh, but what if this happens? We need a like a second action to like help you get out of that situation, right? So there's two ways to fight enemies. There's two ways to heal. There's two ways to do a lot of things, and we called them all separate actions. I almost feel like if you said, do a healing action, but if you have a med, discard it to heal plus two. You know what I mean? Then yeah, it yeah. seems like less options, even though it's the same eight actions, 10 actions, whatever it is. But if you're breaking them down into categories, then I think it makes it easier for people to process. Okay, I need to heal. There's a healing option up here and there's a healing option down there. What's the difference between them? But if you just say, I'm going to take a healing action. Okay, now I've narrowed my mind down. Okay, now there are two different healing options. Which one do I want to take? So I think there are ways to categorize things, even if you do want to have a million different actions. Look, the game with the most actions I've ever seen, and again, not a co-op game, is A Feast for Odin, but they're all chunked into different areas. If you want to go fishing, this is the area you go to. Now, there's like nine different fishing options over there, (laughs) but they're all very similar in what you're going to do and what you're going to get out of it. Yeah, and to, to go along with that, I think it makes sense to kind of have a streamlined system or have a streamlined resource set and then have like the actions kind of work off of that. So worker placement games. Yes, you might have a whole bunch of different options, but they're all pulling from the same resources. You're using the same workers or something like Agamonia that we were just playing uh, on the stream channel recently. You can move, you can fight, you can take like little, uh, you know, adventure actions, but they all use the same resolution system. They all use like the same stamina pool to kind of modify them. So yeah, like Peter said, chunking or pulling from the same resources, because not only does that make it a little bit more consistent for a player, so I think learning the game is easier, but then you get these contrasting uh, priorities, right? And these contrasting resource pools. Oh man, fighting and doing this both, uh, you know, actually to go back to uh, what I didn't like about Descent uh, Legends of the Dark compared to Descent 2nd Edition, I like how Descent 2nd Edition and Imperial Assault handle stamina, where... It's the same resource pool that you use to get extra movement. It's the same resource pool that you use to fire off all of your abilities. So you have to carefully choose which ones you want to use and really like debate that. Whereas Legends of the Dark took away most of that and things are kind of unto themselves for their fatigue and I found it less interesting. So I think uh, when possible, even if you have a lot of different actions available to players, I think it's more interesting if those are very closely interrelated. And again, Lacerda does this great. I don't always love his games, but he is certainly a master of getting that intersecting action economy going on. Yeah. And so we're going to do just a high level overview today. I think these are each individual discussions we can dig deeper on later. So let's go to what you were thinking about, which was number of actions you get on your turn, right? So Crady is a good example. You're getting one action on your turn and it's a real small action. It's not like one action where you're doing 50 things. It's a micro action. So go ahead and uh, tell me what you're thinking about there. Yeah, so I think like kind of the action economy and how many actions you get is such an important thing, especially in uh, cooperative games, although it's important in lots of games. 
Because talking about the pacing of a game, this has such a major effect on that. You know, when do you get (laughs) a ton of downtime or when do you get games that move very quickly, sometimes too quickly? If a player is playing out 10 card hands, if they have six different actions to take on their turn, and suddenly that's a five-player game or a four-player game, oh my gosh, (laughs) you have to sit around for forever while you wait for each person to run through that. But on the other end, if you look at games like uh, Darkest Night from Victory Point Games, if you look at Cradia that we covered today, sometimes you don't do enough on your turn. So if everyone is like attached to a single character, Darkest Night is another game I would definitely recommend only for solo or maybe two-player. If you're each attached to a different character, it's like the turns move too quickly. You almost wish there was some downtime so you would have time to think instead of like immediately (laughs) just jumping into your next thing. So I think it's a tough thing figuring out how to divide up the actions correctly. Like, you know, look at Pandemic for a second. This is kind of a goofy thing. Clearly the balance wouldn't be right. But let's say that instead of giving the players four actions on their turn, they had eight actions on their turn, but then they drew twice as many player cards and they resolved twice as many Pandemic cards. I think we can agree that would be terrible pacing-wise, right? Because player turns would be too long. There would be too many permutations of figuring out what they would do. They would have to take too many actions before figuring out what the AI was going to do before they saw what the negative effects were going to do. And then the in-between stuff, the boring stuff, the like Automa, the AI, would take longer as well, and it'd feel more like downtime where no one is doing anything. So I think uh, in very broad terms, it's important for designers to think about how they balance the the actions and the activity, really, like the the uh, the agency of individual players and controlling your fate against how long the AI stuff takes and against how long everyone's turn takes and how long players are going to be waiting. So I don't know. I'm sort of <laughs> bringing up three different topics here, I think. But no, no, no. But you know, it's funny because I was going to go to each of those topics, and then you're like, "Oh, nope, he covered that one. Oh, nope, he covered that one." No, I think you're absolutely right, though. I think it's not only important how long your actions are taking, but comparing that to how long an AI turn takes. That's real important. And a lot of the games that we get frustrated with, it's because the AI turns take almost as long as the player turns. And the AI, you know, so much happens between your turns, which I don't mind because you want a changing board state, of course, something else to attack on your next turn. But at the same time, you don't want it to feel like half your game is doing this automated thing and having to do this. And I think Pandemic does it really well. And, you know, I slammed on Salvation Road earlier for having too many actions. The one thing I want to compliment us on is I think we figured out the number of actions correctly, right? Each character gets two actions. I think one of those micro actions would have felt too little and everybody's controlling two characters. And so you get to do a little bit over here. You get to do a little bit over there. You get downtime in between your turns to kind of think about what you want to do next, but it's not overwhelming. None of those actions take very long. It keeps you constantly engaged in the game, but the AI part doesn't take too long either. And so I think the pacing is right there. And like you said, Pandemic, I think they did a great job. I think that's one thing that probably got people into co-op games is it never feels like you're sitting around too long in a pandemic game. Yeah, and and something I've seen in a few games that I think is really cool, I'd love to see more games playing around with and more designers trying out, is the idea of not having an enemy turn. A couple examples of this. Primal, that we did a stream of, and I did some Kickstarter coverage of. Great game. Now, I I do think that downtime can be too much for three or four players, but putting that to the side for the second... I think the fact that there's basically no boss turn, instead the boss has these cards up and they will react as your turn goes, but like your turn is still kind of its own thing. The boss never attacks on their own. 
I really like that. I think it's a cool concept. And getting into a competitive game, and they did come out with an official solo mode, uh, Arcadia Quest. And I guess, I don't know if Arcadia Quest does the same thing. I assume so. The enemies in that one are kind of like blockers as the player teams are trying to do stuff. But the enemies don't really have a turn either. Instead, they react as you move around. They chase after you if you get too close to them. And I think that's a really cool thing because for better or for worse, with like Pandemic and lots of other uh, cooperative games, we're kind of used to like the enemy turn and now the bad stuff happens after the good stuff went. Even like Lord of the Rings, Rhino Knizia's one, one of the earliest uh, co-op games kind of had that. And I think it's cool to find designs that just break that down. They're like, ah, never mind. The enemy stuff will just kind of be part of your turn. Or there is no enemy turn, and it's just like kind of a timer, you know? So (laughs) I think there's other ways to play around with it that is not about number of player actions, but kind of how you can balance number of player actions against the enemy turn, if there even is one. Yeah, and I think there is, again, no right or wrong answer. I think there's going to be personal preferences. Some people love long turns, right? Where they get to do a bunch of stuff. And I've even heard people say that they like when people have long turns because that means they don't have to sit at the table. Like if too much is going to change between my last turn and my next turn, I don't want to sit at the table and think, oh, I can do this. Oh, I can do that just to see it spoiled over and over again. So some people like those long turns because they use it as a chance to get away from the table. Long enough time to go get a drink, <laughs> go get some snacks, whatever else. I mean, I think those are war games specifically, but through the ages certainly does this, right? That's my biggest negative for one of my favorite games of all time. And Nations kind of fixed it with you do one action you do one action with very similar gameplay otherwise and i say fixed it but honestly i think i like through the ages better overall but i'm more likely to play nations because it doesn't feel as long it's interesting how two games with very similar mechanisms can make the feeling different i think it's better if you can get those actions down i would not say as short as possible though because i do think sometimes with games like cradia it's too little And so you don't feel like you're doing a whole lot if you're trying to play it as a multiplayer game. Look, as a solo game, like we talked about a hundred times, it's great because you're doing all of those actions, but you do want to give people enough agency where they feel like they're doing something and not just, well, I'm taking a basic attack and that's all I'm going to do for the next five minutes, right? Until my turn comes back around. So I, I think there is a sweet spot there and I think you can miss on both sides of it pretty easily. But I don't know if it's a miss as long as you are honest about the best player counts for your game. Sure. Like if Crady was selling itself as a four player game and that was the primary way to play it, I would say no. <laughs> um, or, or one of your favorites, Peter, Marvel Champions. I think we both agree that that is way better as a one to two player game. And that's not because the actions are so quick that you need to control multiple characters. It's not the Crady problem. Absolutely. It's the exact opposite. Yeah, it's the exact opposite because your turn has so many actions, especially late game. And there's so many interesting choices in how you spend your resources to pay for your cards and stuff. And I, I would not want to get rid of any of that. I just would not ever want to play a four player game of it where I'm waiting for each player to make all those damn decisions, <laughs> you know, over the course of like 20 minutes or whatever for each round. So yeah, it, it's a very tough sweet spot to find. But like we said earlier, it's all about the weight of game you're going for. And it's very much about the player counts you're going for. I mean, we cover solo and cooperative games here and sometimes solo is the way to go. I, I don't mind that much. I used to be upset about this, but I don't mind if people are like, hey, this is mainly a solo game. But we put a four player mode in it. Try it out if you want. You know, like I'm okay with that. Right. It's only when they, uh, <laughs> when when they don't have like the wherewithal or the humility to be like, yeah, this is the best game. Like uh, our upcoming game that we still can't say what it is, but our upcoming game, 
we definitely designed it as a cooperative game. We think it works great solo, but like you're missing out on some stuff if you're not playing with two or more players. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's okay. Like I, I don't mind saying that. I don't want to like sell it to solo players as though solo is the best option and then they feel like they've been fooled or duped. I think transparency is the best thing. And I know that's tough because on Kickstarter, you want to expand your audience as much as possible, right? And in retail too, like everyone buy this, everyone will like it. It's, this has something for every gamer, but it's not true. <laughs> and I don't want to have people's like feelings hurt or feel like they've been lied to. Sure. And I think there are ways to do it, right? And I can't think of any cooperative ones that scale exactly right in my mind right now, but Gaia Project's a perfect example for me. It does get long with more players, but it's more interesting with more players mm -hmm, as well mm -hmm. because you're doing stuff on other players' turns and you have interaction with other people and what they're doing on the board. So it doesn't bother me that it gets the, the gameplay gets longer, but their solo mode's great too. There aren't many games, I think, that scale that well from all player counts. But, you know, that's one reason I said I think we should start talking about player count more because I really do think it makes a huge difference. Descent with two players is very different than Descent with four players. There is ideal player counts in there. But I do think with these actions, you have to think about that. And I wonder if there's a way to change it up based on the player count where you don't feel like you're doing less or the game isn't getting a million times longer, right? And I know with this new game you're talking about, we did try to do that, right? We tried to scale it in other ways where you still feel like you're involved, but it's not making the game length a million times longer, or it doesn't make you feel like you're doing less in the game as well. All right, so I think we can leave it there. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much to think about on this topic, and it's kind of a bunch of intersecting things at the same time. So good luck, game designers. <laughs> We struggle with it too, so just do your best, and hopefully people will enjoy what you have. But yeah, but don't lie to yourself either, right? Like, if your game's off, think about the pacing, and think about the number of actions you're giving people, and think about the number of choices. Is there a way to chunk your choices? Is there a way to people give give people one more action or or one less action? You know, pandemic set the bar with that like four action thing, and I think people have kind of gone to it as a default since then. But maybe that's not the right thing for your game, right? Descent now said take two actions and a move action. You know what I mean? So like there's different ways to chunk it out. So think about that. If your pacing seems off, think about the number of actions you're giving people or the number of choices you're giving people on their turn. And I think that's a good place to start. Well, yeah. And just to add one final word, uh, do some research. If you're not already playing a lot of games and you should be playing a lot of games, it's just like everything else. You know, don't be an author if you're not reading a lot of books. <laughs> don't be an artist if you're not looking at a lot of art. But yeah, so if you're not playing a lot of games, play games within like the genre or the sort of type of weight that your game is looking to be and see what is accepted and widely approved of by the audience you're selling to. If you're going to make a war game, you can probably go in a much broader and longer turn direction than if you're making like a little family friendly cooperative game. Uh, you, you don't want that to feel like a war game <laughs> because no Absolutely. one is going to enjoy it. It's going to be totally a mismatch between expectations and actual uh, things they like. Yeah, no, well said. So, I mean, we I know we were very broad today. We covered it kind of from the outside. I'm sure this is a topic we'll be going back to and doing a deeper dive in each of these different ways that actions can affect your gameplay. But until uh, next week, we'll leave it there. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you at the next stop. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. 
Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hello and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op. Oh, jeez. That is not the right intro. <laughs> I know, that was good. That was good. I like it. Just combine everything. Stream and podcast, same thing. Hey, Mike. Yeah. You want to come to this festival with me this weekend? The Greek festival? I mean, I was thinking the Renaissance festival, but there might be a wild hunt going on there, so I'm not sure. <laughs> There's too many festivals. Bring your pole arm just in case. <laughs>